morning uh, and welcome to From the Rookery End. It's Saturday morning. Uh, my name is John. With me is Mike. And what a good morning it is. Hello, John. Uh, it is a great morning because last night, Watford... Uh, well, it, here's the thing. I've, I've, I try to think if they're verbs or they are uh, nouns. Uh, all the things I've seen, we thumped Cardiff, we thrashed Cardiff. I think those are verbs. But then it was a rout as well. Is that a, is that a noun? Not sure, but it's accurate. <laughs> we decimated them, we obliterated them, we bluted them, we ground them into the dirt. And no hard feeling against Cardiff, but what an absolutely sensational Friday evening. It was wonderful. Uh, if you were at the game, well done for, get, for getting down there. Uh, we were watching some magical way. But Colin was there, uh, and I, I caught up with him uh, to talk through the game and a, a certain performance from uh, Jerry D. Colin! We beat <laughs> Cardiff 5-1 away. You were there. It must have been brilliant. It, it was It was uh, unexpected for most Watford fans. I mean, obviously, Cardiff are struggling, and we've seen them at, at Vicarage Row where we were very comfortable against them, got a 3-0 lead, and then sort of took our eye off the ball and conceded a couple of late goals. But they were pretty poor, and I, and I think the two sides that I would say have been the poorest I've seen this season are probably them. Cardiff City and and Brighton in the first day of the season, and then even down at their place, you know, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. But um, and the game stood really. We controlled the game from from the first minute to the last. Uh, yeah, we gave away a goal, but I mean that can happen. If you look at the stats, it's quite strange because they seem to have had as many shots as us, and you know, uh, as many corners and so on. But what they do simply is just put the ball in the channels, and they just do it over and over again. So they don't really play a lot of football. They just try to get the, the ball forward early, which is a good tactic for a team that lacks the quality in midfield that it does. I mean, I would say that QPR gave us a better game in fact, than Cardiff. I know we had our first string 11 out, but nevertheless, it, it, there was they weren't particularly physical. They didn't really get in our faces. They didn't really press us in the way that QPR did or Burnley did. And we were able to control the game. And uh, I have to say there was there was a few outstanding performances. And, and apart from Ben Foster making that one save early in the first half, the back four were pretty anonymous. I mean, they really didn't have much to do. I mean, they were comfortable. Messina, I didn't even even notice that Messina was playing. <laughs> they didn't seem to have to do anything. Yeah. They just sit at the back, sort of protecting. But they had been told to sit and just let the midfield get on with it. And they gave us huge amounts of space. And, and you know, they did. Not, not even like we were dominating that midfield. We just we had all the room in the world. But our passing was so crisp. And in recent weeks, I know we've complained a bit that you know, we, we, we feel a bit rushed or a bit hurried in the passing. We've given the ball away too much. Last night, we didn't do that. Um, the four midfielders, Pereira, Capu, Decore and, and Hughes, did they both Pereira and Hughes do play narrow. It's something that, that people are starting to talk about, this sort of 4-2-2-2, with Hughes and Pereira sort of tucking in. Pereira looked a little bit like he was getting back to his best. He looked injury-free. He could only do the sort of 65, 70 minutes because he started to tie, but he looked quite sharp. But but really, for me, despite obviously the goals from uh, the two strikers, for me, the outstanding player on the night was Etienne Capu. And I know that's not something that I say very often, but he was just at it last night. And even Decore didn't really have an enormous amount to do. He sat a bit deeper. Capu got up and pressed them. Eventually, that, that pressing led to the third goal because he nicked it off Arta. It wasn't really a mistake from Arta. He was just, he was harried off the ball. And, and then once he got it, Capu played this absolutely perfect pass into the path of Delafeu, who had scored a goal uh, made by himself with a lovely little jink off his thigh to take it past the uh, the last defender. And as we know, and as was said on the telly last night, you know, Delafeu has missed a, 
he gets one-on-ones. He seems that seems to be his thing that he gets one-on-ones, John. Mm. And very often, recently, he he hasn't been able to execute. And there was a certain sort of sucking in of breath the first time he got one-on-one with the keeper, but he did very well to get round the keeper and score. Although I think the defender will think he should have done a bit better and cleared it, but he didn't. And that was that was the moment really where you thought, okay, two nil now. They didn't get their penalty, which was which was unlucky for them. And, and the game suddenly really drifted away from Cardiff. And the third goal, as I say, Kapu nicking it off Arta. Beautiful pass and a lovely little dink from Delafea right in front of us. And then it was sort of party time after that. You kind of felt that uh, that we were so in control by that stage. They looked sort of, dazzled, sort of dazed and they didn't really have an answer. Uh, and then we had this uh, fantastic sequence of passes, which apparently is the highest number of passes leading to a goal uh, by a team other than the top six. <laughs> There's a few caveats in this stat. Uh, <laughs> since, I don't know, the sort 2014, of I think it is, yeah. Or yeah. But it was a beautiful thing and uh, we were watching it and uh, I was standing next to Barry and Barry said to me, he said, how many passes have we had? And I said, God, it must be in the 20. Uh, and then I, and I said, and if we get a goal at the end of this sequence, that'll be something. And then, bam. And the great thing about that fourth goal, really, as was mentioned by Troy after the game and by Happy, was that he was one-on-one again, uh, Jerry already got his hat trick, looking for a fourth goal, quite a tight angle. Keeper comes out and he just thinks, yeah, this one's not for me. It's for that big fella there. Uh, and uh, he just sort of tips it to him and then does a kind of playground leapfrog over um, Ketteridge. Is it Ketteridge or yeah. Betteridge? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then Troy is just, he's just there. It looked to me like Troy didn't expect to get the pass because he's sort of jogging into the box and he's never going to pass it to me. And then he passes it to him and he sort of puts a spurt on him and hammers it. And then the fifth goal was, again, just well worked. Lovely, lovely pass, weighted pass to Deeney from Hughes, who is going a bit under the radar at the moment, Hughes. He's playing really, really well. But, of course, with goals flying in from Delafeo and Deeney and uh, Kapu and Decore, Decore coming back from injury and looking really good. And it's, I think it's quite good for Hughes not to have the spotlight on him. And he was very, very efficient and effective last night. So, apart from the back five, who really had very little to do, the front six, if you like, um, were, were terrific and uh, we had far far too much for them they just they couldn't handle us anywhere really let's talk about the uh, the one, one particular man who had probably let's say his best game for Watford and maybe it feels so fantastic because as you've mentioned his his, his one-on-ones of, of recent times have have felt terrible and missed opportunities uh, galore but th- there was just a different Gerard Delafeo out there yesterday, wasn't there? Or, or, or was yeah, there? Was. Am, am, I, am I being silly, or was it was he that that different? It was different, and and it's interesting because we have to remember, you know, he's been around a long time, Delafeo, from his first loan move to Everton. You know, when he, he he's hit the ground running at sort of seventeen, eighteen, I think he was. I think he's twenty four now, so he's still really for a striker, still quite young, and still has got some improving to do. And I'm sure he will improve. And it's something that they've been saying and Javi's been saying and Troy's been saying that he has to work on his finishing and he's been saying, I'm working on my finishing, I'm working on my finishing. And if you practice enough, you know, you you get better if, if you're good. And he's definitely a, a brilliant player. And uh, But he's definitely been working on his on his, uh, on his his finishing and it, and it showed last night. The, the first one, he made a clear decision to mm. go towards the keeper and then try and get around him and knock it into an empty net. And he, he, you could see that he'd made a decision. He looked more determined. He wasn't slowing down his run, dithering, thinking, which way am I going to go? He'd made his decision early. And, you know, it either works or it doesn't. But if you make the decision early, then you give yourself the best chance because the keeper doesn't know what you're going to do. But you do. And that's the key thing. And he went round the keeper quite comfortably with a little Delafeo jink. 
uh, and then he managed to get just enough on the ball to get it past the two defenders who were sliding in to try and clear it. But the second one was just pure class. Again, I think an early decision. Once he gets the ball from Kapu, he looks up. The keeper's doing pretty much, it's almost exactly the same place he yeah. finds himself in, Delefe. Just to the right of the D, coming into the box. Keeper comes out and uh, he dinks it. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really classy goal. And if, if someone in the, you know, at City had done that or someone from Man United had done that or Rashford had done it, there'd be a lot of talk about what a, what a classy touch that was to score that goal. And it was, it was really, uh, and he was, by then, his confidence was just, was just sort of bubbling away. You could see it. Every time he got the ball, they were terrified of him. They were stepping away from him. He was running at them. He was taking a man on over and over. And, he, and I just hope that this is a real breakout performance for him for the rest of the season. He, he seemed really pleased, obviously, afterwards in the, in the, in the interview. Uh, and Troy was bigging him up. And, you know, when you're 24, you know, your confidence is a fragile thing, I think. And uh, something like this game. And the first, the first goal, we, sh- we shouldn't... Um, we should talk about the first goal a little bit because, again, I, a lot of people around me saying Troy was not having a very good game in that he did give the ball away a lot. There were times when his touch was was, was really let him down uh, in that sort of forward part of midfield where he often finds himself his touch wasn't great, he wasn't protecting the ball that well. But for the first goal, he must have had three men around him trying to get it yeah, off him. He battled, and he just yeah. managed to get his toe on it. And Delafeo was right there to put it in. And then his two goals... Were, were, were terrific Deeney-type goals, you know, in the box, three, four yards out, five yards out, smashes it as hard as he can. No one's going to say that. The second goal, you know, the fifth Watford goal, his second goal, actually is a really nice finish because I think he gives the keeper the kind of sense that he's going one way and then he just knocks it back the other way. And he just, uh, he grew into the game, Troy. And, but what he's doing, which is really interesting, is I think it's why the partnership is starting to work. A bit like what happened at Bournemouth when Troy just followed De Delefeu into the box waiting for it to break down so that he could pick up the scraps. Again, last night, as soon as Delefeo was on the run, he was following him in for that fourth goal, waiting to see if something could happen. And so uh, I think that partnership is starting to is starting to bear fruit. Obviously, last night it did. But, you know, we've, we've seen little glimpses of it before. And I, I think they enjoy playing together. I think it's a bit tough on Gray, isn't it? It's a bit tough on Gray, a bit tough on Isaac. But, you know, but we seem to have settled on... He's just... From very early on, I think, Javi Grazia felt that Delefeo could play as, as, a, as a central striker. And he's stuck with that because he believes he can do it. And last night, I think, was the proof that he can. Whether he can do it consistently is another thing, but he can do it. Whereas in other games, he gets caught up in the melee of defenders around him and so on. And he, he, he feels like he's getting kind of suffocated. But last night, he was terrific. You know, everyone was saying, why didn't Gray keep his place on Twitter? And I get, I get that, you know, after having a great game, you don't want to lose that momentum of a player. But, you know, they, Javi knows the players better than, than anyone. And he sort of knows, like you say, the, the things that we have seen glimpses of, he probably sees far more regularly uh, on, yeah. on the training ground. And that's why Delafeu got what picked, you know, above Gray. And, and you know, Gray and Dini, you know, the, the, the distances between what they've done before and what they've done now, or what they could do now, is, is not that far as a, as a partnership. And, like, you know, Delafeu is a different sort of player... For, you know, you know why he wasn't ready for that his first goal, Dini, because he's used to playing with Agarlo, and Agarlo never passed it to him, <laughs> and he's no. still probably got that itch. And he said, "Oh, those little fast strikers—they never pass it to me." Um, you know, of all the players he's played with, he is a different sort of level of class, and the speed he had yesterday—you know, yeah, he was vigorous my speed. And I don't—I th- I knew he's got pace, but he had really, really fast. Um, yeah. And you know, he, he is a different sort of player for Troy to play up front with. 
Um, especially when you compare it to the, you know, the, the beginning of his time at Watford. Well, I think it's about which game and who you're playing. I mean, I think yeah. against QPR, Deeney and Gray is a good idea because it's a much, going to be a much more physical encounter and there's going to be much less space, much less time on the ball. But against a team like Cardiff or, or a team that plays it, or, or a team like Wolves, for instance, who like to play in an open way, having someone like Delafay who can run with the ball, having Pereira outside him on one side, Hughes on the other, Deeney behind him or with him, you know, that then you can exploit space uh, if you're playing against a team that is, is more open. But if you're going to play against a Burnley or a Brighton or, or a QPR or potentially... I don't know. I mean, I don't know what team he's going to pick for the Palace game. But against those those bigger physical sides, Deeney and Gray is, is a good option because you've got a better chance of holding the ball up. You're going to win that physical battle. And maybe Delefeo can get bullied in those situations. We saw it a little bit when we played Tottenham at Spurs. He didn't have his best game, Delefeo, because the two centre-backs just sort of muscled him off it all the time. So I think what's great, of course, is that we've got we've got these choices and everyone seems happy. They're, you know, I'm sure Gray wishes he was playing more minutes, but... You know, after last night, he can't expect to just walk into the team next Sunday. I mean, you know, he's, he's going to have to really wait for his moment, Gray, and then take it if he's going to start getting regular minutes. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Now then, we're on Saturday morning, the morning after Watford beat Cardiff City. What was the score? 5 1 to Watford. And how many did Gerald Derafeo get? Three. He got a hat trick, didn't he? So, hat trick is obviously three goals, as you said. So, my question to you today is Gerald got three goals. What are your three favourite things about Watford at the moment? What's your hat trick of good things about Watford at the moment? That they're good passers, they got a lot of pacey people, and their goalkeeper's good. So, good goalkeeper, good passing, and good speed. Decent hat-trick. Nice one, Arles. Thank you very much. Bye. I suppose, Mike, beating a, a club lower down the league than us is the way football's meant to work, but... Five against Cardiff really shows that it isn't that we are higher than Cardiff, but we we should be and are because we're seventh, as we record this, uh, well above them. You're right. That is how football should work, and we're not used to it, are we? Because at, at work, people do their acres on a Friday and said, "Oh, I've put Watford down, Mike," and I'm like, "No, <laughs> do not put Watford in your bet." And they're like, "But they're playing Cardiff, or they're playing Huddersfield, they're playing you know your miles about." And I'm like, "Doesn't matter. We can't. We won't win. We won't beat them. Don't put them in your acre." And of course, the watching world, maybe they're enjoying it a bit more than we are, than they're able to. But I'm starting to enjoy it now. I'm starting to get confident in this in this Watford side. And I'm starting to really cherish what the, what they're achieving. I think they're they're doing what they should. They're doing what we've wanted them to do for so long. We've just seen a stat just before we started recording that in 2019, since the turn of the year, that dreaded turn of the year that I banged on about for so often, played ten and we've only lost one. Kept clean, six clean sheets. It's Watford are doing really, really, really well. I'm not sure, quite sure. I can't remember what your question was. I'm so excited about the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, Watford doing what they should be doing. They're they're replicating the league table, which is such an un-Watford thing to do in recent history. Uh, but it's so rewarding. Uh, it's so pleasing to see. Just and 
Five goals away from home, it doesn't matter if you're Cardiff City, it doesn't matter if you're Manchester City. To win a game 5-1 away from home is is some achievement. And the, and the way they went about it as well, with, with such a plomb, some lovely counter-attacking goals, some lovely passing movements. I know you had a stat about the number of passes before, before yeah. the fourth. I, think, I mean, there, are, there have been some fantastic uh, stats coming out. The fact that it's the first hat-trick away, uh, uh, first ha- Watford hat-trick since 1986. Mark Falco scored that against Aston Villa. In the top flight. In the top flight, of course. Uh, but uh, apparently the 26 pass move that led to the fourth goal was the most for a goal scored by a team outside the top six in the Premier League since 2014. It's, it's one of those games that get lots of lots of stats. The, the biggest thing for me is the fact that we've gone past, we've, we've reached 40 points, which was this miracle thing that we were aiming for. Never got uh, this early in the season. And we've got, you know, I'm not saying it's a free ride from here on in. You know, things need to be achieved. But it, it's, you know, look at the, the fixture we've got coming up. Right, rest of the season. Liverpool, hmm. probably going to lose still. Le- uh, Leicester, could win. Man City, probably going to lose. Uh, followed by Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. We'll get to that one later on. Southampton, if we go by the league positions, should win. Uh, Manchester United, probably going to lose. We go through it and we, we've got a mixture of games coming up. Yep. And we've got some big clubs. We've got some clubs below us and all the rest of it. So the rest of the season should... If we play the way we played, keep going the way that we hope it to be, and we will finish in the top ten. Now, the, the, what will be the thing that will make us finish seventh? Probably need to win those obvious games. Mm-hmm. Probably need mm-hmm. to beat one of the yeah. top six sides um, that we, we've got there. And we probably have to beat Wolves because they're, they're, they're one of the teams that are in and around us that is going to you know, be battling for that seventh place. But it's all good for the rest of the season. Yeah, Isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, what we've done is every year in the Premier League, <coughs> the, this is our fourth year in, in this stint in the Premier League, we've had a really good start. And to differing degrees, for the first three years, we haven't capitalised on it. This year, our start has now extended to the end of February and there's, what, 11 games left. So previously, we've set a solid platform and sort of plateaued a bit. Now we're continuing to set the platform and, and it's getting higher and higher. We haven't plateaued. So if we, you know, you listed some winnable games, some not so winnable games, I think that this this play, this group of players with this level of confidence will fancy themselves um, against Chelsea, for example. I think we've got Arsenal at home under lights. I think they'll they'll fancy themselves against them. The two Manchester clubs and, and Liverpool away are going to be obviously very, very difficult. But they'll fancy themselves this, this side to, to do something. People like Delefay with his confidence up, Pereira hopefully will get his, his mojo back. Now, the bottom line is, if we win the games, if we do football like it's supposed to be done, mm-hmm. like we just talked about, beating the sides either in and around us or below us, this has the potential now, we've manoeuvred ourselves into a situation where it could be a genuinely memorable season. There's going to be hiccups, because this is still Watford, and there will be, you know, we, we had to play without Jose Holobas last night, who's who's been one of the most important members of the squad this year. There will, there will be injuries, there'll be red cards, this and that will happen, so there'll be bumps along the way. But to be at this stage, with is it 11 games? 11, 12 games left to go. To be have this, this level of excitement still, still in the FA Cup, as you mentioned, looking up the table with a potential battle for seventh, which... You know, for, for people outside Wolverhampton, Watford, Bournemouth, or, you know, that's not, not necessarily very exciting. But for us, it's what it's all about. We question, we're moving out of the championship. What are you playing for? Yeah. Well, this is it. We're battling on fronts to, to progress. Like I said, always bang on about it. Incremental progress. 
we're getting there. We've got stuff, you know, we're sitting here talking with big smiles on our face. Those guys, guys, guys that went to Cardiff last night got back at three o'clock in the morning, but no doubt they'll have bounded out of bed at seven o'clock, eight o'clock this morning. Absolutely buzzing because Watford are making this into a potentially memorable season. It's got, a, I don't, I'm not quite there yet. Let's see where we get to when we get to Easter. But I've got that, that vibe again of, of, a, of a great running that we haven't had. Uh, for a while yeah. uh, we did have in those championship seasons under the Potsos but who knows plenty to come <laughs> the uh, plenty to come uh, does include the FA Cup quarterfinal mm. against Crystal Palace yeah, when that draw came out uh, yes it's Crystal Palace you did uh, on last week's podcast, I uh, made the prediction that it, we will play Crystal Palace and we will lose to Crystal Palace. Yeah, less but, less less mystic, Mike. More pessimistic, Mike. <laughs> and I know that's you protecting yourself, as you've yeah. done for many years on this podcast. <laughs> um, but for me, the the, the, the yeah, people are focusing on the, the the Crystal Palace side of it. But it's the FA Cup quarterfinal. That's what my main focus is on, and it's at home. Mm-hmm. That's just that stadium. We haven't had it quarterfinal in that stadium for a very long time yeah. and that's what I think I'm more looking forward to that where is Watford and, and the, the vibes around Vicarage Road on an FA Cup quarterfinal the winner goes to Wembley for the semi-final yeah and it will Vicarage Road will be absolutely bumping it'll be there'll be it'll feel like there's 20,000 Palace fans they'll obviously get the entire Vicarage Road in so they'll be noisy they'll make themselves known Watford fans will be up for it as well and you mentioned that a lot of focus on Crystal Palace, and I think there's a lot of tiptoeing around this. People sort of trying to avoid getting into rivalries. People say, oh, Everton aren't a rival, Bournemouth aren't a rival, uh, Crystal Palace aren't a rival, but they are for, for different reasons. You know, they're not Luton Town, obviously. Um, and they're, not our, they're not our historic rivals, but they are our rivals for different reasons. Bournemouth, we had those the, the battles going up through the leagues, and that's continued. Everton, we've got the whole silver issue. And Crystal Palace, we've got a lot of recent history with. So I don't think we should show. You know, they're not our, they're not our derby day rivals, but they are our rivals. And I've only just come round to this way of thinking, especially with Palace, because there is niggle there, isn't there? They, yeah. Their fans hate us, and we we're not particularly keen on them either. And I think some people really get stuck into it, and it does get a bit childish. I think from time to time, but I try to like you try to distance myself from it because I think it's self preservation. You don't want to admit that you really want to smash them because it's Palace. You know, if it was Southampton at home or, or someone else at home in the quarterfinals, you wouldn't be like, I just really want to win this game. But there is an added, there's no denying there's an added little extra spice about it. And I think as football supporters, we shouldn't shy away from that. We should embrace that. And that's why that Vicarage Road will be doubly bouncing, I think. They'll want to do us in, we'll want to do them in. So I'm really, really nervous about it because obviously we've beaten them twice and we know how football works we're above them in the league. Don't you think it's their turn to beat us this season? But if we play like we play like we can, then and we can do it. And it's it's just exciting. Great. Always get so jealous at this stage when those you get those free cup week those free weekends. You've got no league fixtures because you're out of the cups. We are now in the last eight. We're taking part. The eyes of the world are on us. Um, great local. It is a local derby to a, to a degree. Fantastic atmosphere. A squad that hopefully is still in decent form by the time we play them. And like you say, a great opportunity to go to Wembley for the sort of the right reasons. I still think we should be going to Villa Park or Old Trafford for a, for a semi-final. But we've, we've moaned a little bit about having to go and watch Watford at Wembley with Spurs. This will be for the right reasons. I won't be there yeah. if, if we do make it. So I'm um, not, not quite sure how I feel about that. But uh, really exciting. But let's embrace this. This football, football fan culture, if you like, is about 
um, squaring off against other football clubs. You want your club to be better than them and you want them to beat them. And I think we need to accept that and enjoy it. But in good humour as well. I think there's a lot of a lot of nasty nonsense. And I know um, Crystal Palace fans think think we're wrong to criticise Wilf Zaha and, and so on and so on. It does get a little bit out of hand. But there's a rivalry there. Absolutely crackling for the court cup fight, the, the FA Cup court final. I'm thrilled we're in it. I'm thrilled we've managed to navigate our way there. Can we get to a semi-final? Let's wait and see. But it's it's exciting. I'm looking forward to matches. There's stuff riding on them, and that's what that's what it should be like. It's it's great, and I'm enjoying it. The uh, 881 uh, are doing their thing with flags and um, to, to do what we've, we you know, we've been talking about. What will be fantastic on the day to fill Vicarage Road uh, and to make it a really really special day because it is FA Cup quarterfinal uh, and uh, we'll keep you up to date with uh, how you can help uh, how you can get there early because it's a lunchtime kickoff uh, to help uh, get the stadium uh, ready because it, it takes a lot of volunteers and a lot of uh, time uh, to make Vicarage Road look as, uh, as good as it does by the 1881 so uh, yeah make sure you, you keep your eyes and ears open about how you can get involved and get to the ground early to get it ready for when Crystal Palace arrive in a few weeks' time. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Talk about rivalries, and you talk about the Everton rivalry. I'm sort of, but not 100%, putting that rivalry... I'm, I'm, I'm taking it down a DEFCON level, uh, the rivalry with Everton, because there's a little bit of closure uh, about the breakup between uh, the club and Marco. A uh, report saying it's a £4 million uh, compensation that's now being dealt with. Um, no, no heavy fine from the uh, footballing authorities. No duck points deduction. Nothing like that. But they they've paid up, Mike. They've paid up. Yep. Um, and you know that is that's what Gino and Scott wanted to happen. They, this is a, an admission of guilt. They're not going to stump up four million quid. And you know, there's Everton supporters on Twitter. Said, oh, the world doesn't matter. Four millions peanuts. Four million pounds in the grand scheme of things is <laughs> still four million quid. Yeah. I'd, I'd take it. <laughs> um, but it's not. You know, it. it <laughs> Relatively speaking, it's not a massive amount of money. The important thing for Watford Football Club was to draw a line in the sand. You cannot just tap up our players. You cannot tap up our managers and get away with it. There was going to be an independent inquiry. If Everton thought they'd done nothing wrong, they'd have said, bring it on. Let's have the inquiry. We'll supply all our phone records, all our emails, whatever we need to do. Everyone, I think, with any sort of common sense knew what what happened. Um, and I think I include Everton fans in that. There's still some clinging on to the, oh, well, you nicked him from Hull. It's a nonsense. And that, that one-eyed football supporter, Nuss, I think is is something that grates on me more and more as, as the weeks go past. But yeah, I agree with you. I think we've Scott and Gina have done set out what they, they've achieved, what they set out to do, which was to get a roundabout admission of guilt, effectively, from Everton. So... Good, well done to them. I think they were right to take that strong stance. I think Watford are a different club than they were. Um, I was talking to Luke Ashmead on BBC Three Counties. Hello, Luke, if you're listening, before the, the Cardiff game. And we look back um, to to before um, Gino and Scott were, were part of the club. And it, it was quite interesting to, to take yourself back and think about how difficult those times were. A lot of the times we've been doing this podcast, it's been difficult on the pitch and difficult off it. Those times are gone. And I think there's... I think this will be a message to people, other people outside WD18 that that's the case. You can't muck Watford around, and that's what they wanted to do. That's what they've done. But I'm totally with you. Let's draw a line under it. I don't want to waste any more of my brain power on, on Marco Silva. I'll have a little chuckle when he's inevitably sacked, uh, and it ends up being Everton's sort of um, probably third manager that they'll have on the payroll at any one given time. I think if I was Everton supporters, I'd be looking at the management at the club. They've ended up paying Allardyce. They've ended up paying Cooman still. Um, 
they've got themselves into a bind over Marco Silva that they could have ended up in some sort of hot water with the authorities. So I would be asking questions of my ownership um, if I was an Everton supporter. But I've got no time now for, for Marco Silva. We've dealt with him. We should have taken six points off them this year. We've taken four, um, gave him a lovely warm welcome back at, uh, at Vicarage Road, which was done in a very Watford way, I thought. Yeah. We let our feelings known without, uh, without it getting nasty or, or spiteful. Watford fans have got bigger fish to fry now than to worry about Marco Silva and Everton. And I think that's a, a lovely situation to be in. Javi Gracia is our man. Everything happens for a reason. And, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to say thank you to Everton because without you sticking your noses in, uh, we wouldn't have four million for, for Marco, 50 million for Richarlison and the wonderful man that is Javi Gracia at the helm. So I'm actually going to say thanks, Everton. See you later. <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. A couple of proud moments for this week. Uh, one was watching John Barnes on uh, Question Time. Uh, we know his story as Watford fans and what he was like as a footballer. Um, but I think what, when I watched him, how, how cool and like highbrow do I sound? I watched <laughs> Question Time. I don't normally, but John Barnes was on. And uh, he, he spoke about racism so fluently, so brilliantly. I got that feeling of, I know after seeing him at Towson Vicarage Live, when Adam talked about him, about the values and what his father was like and his, his time in Jamaica um, and all that sort of, the, the growing up that he had and why he came to Watford because of Graham and the values and the people values that he had. Uh, and that sort of really shone through for me mm. in the way that he spoke and what he spoke about um, with honest tones, uh, but, but brilliant to see uh, the second Watford player ever to be uh, on Question time after uh, Clark Carlisle. Yeah, fantastic seeing him uh, on there. But Mike, you had a, a, a another great Watford day uh, with you and the kids. Yeah, I think if you if you indulge me for a minute, yeah. Collins talked about Delafeu's hat trick, um, which was obviously brilliant. Well done, Jerry. Um, but I had a little hat trick this this week of my own. Um, the first one was a bit of an epiphany this morning, just thinking about all those Watford fans that made it up to up to Cardiff. It, it makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? These guys move heaven and earth to be able to get to these games. And I just had a real warm glow thinking about all those people that put in all those miles. You know, I, we get to as many away games as we can. Last night was a bridge too far. But some of these guys really, you know, they plan ahead, they shift work around, they get chucked. And it's, they work so hard to get there. And for them to be there to see that, that was what football was all about. I got that warm glow and just, you remember why you love football for moments like that. The second one was we were walking, I was walking with Arlo in, in town the other, the other day and he stopped, we were talking and he stopped in his tracks and started fumbling around with his, with his coat. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he opened up his coat, he had a Watford shirt, surprise, surprise, underneath. And he started jabbing the badge forward to this car. And he'd seen another Watford supporter in the in the car, and he was just desperate to show this other guy that he was a Watford supporter. And this, he gave him a little toot of the horn and thumbs up, and Arlo sort of shook his fist, gave him a thumbs up. I thought, how lovely is that? That Arlo felt part of a, you know, it's an unspoken thing. He just wanted to share that we're part of the same club, we're together, we're in this. And I thought, again, that's what football's about. Those little moments, those little that feeling of belonging. Um, and to see my son do it, you know, like I said, you have to indulge me. Was I just felt that's amazing? He feels part of something, and football's delivered that. And it was just a little, tiny little moment that took no more than twenty seconds. But again, it showed that sort of the magic of, of football and how wonderful it can be. And yes, you mentioned um, our trip to to Watford on it was Wednesday. 
and it was part of the Junior Hornets half-term offering. And I think they did two, three things on that day. It was a, there was a training session at Watford at the training ground. There was a player signing um, in the Hornet shop. And there was also a photo shoot experience. Um, and for the training and the photo shoot, it was open to all Junior Hornets. You had to put your name into a hat and it was drawn out. And, and Flo and Arlo were lucky enough to get that, that opportunity. They had a tour of the dressing rooms and the, and the ground. They got to peek behind the curtain, which, which was absolutely fabulous. And then they had this incredible opportunity to have their, their photos taken with the big fat cut. Panda. <laughs> so Arlo, Arlo came face to face with who is now his new favourite player. Sorry, yeah. Ben. Sorry, Delafeu. Sorry, Troy Deeney. Uh, De- uh, uh, Adabelto Peñaranda is now his favourite player. Who was brilliant with the kids? They were posing. Um, I posted on our, on our Twitter. If you look on from the at Watford podcast Twitter, there's a little video of, of some of the shots. So the kids had an incredible time. Came away absolutely buzzing, absolutely in love with their club. Um, and of course, as a as a parent who loves Watford and loves my kids, to see them treated that way, given that opportunity by my football club, was so pleasing, so inspiring, so lovely. It just get, I've had a warm, fuzzy feeling about Watford all week for, for those sort of three things they've all combined. But they don't need to do those things. They're difficult to put on. You've got to drag players away from training, get them into the ground, got get them sit next to annoying kids for 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 you know 10 minutes at a time. They don't have to do it, and no one's going to raise an eyebrow if they don't, but they do. I just think it's wonderful. I think it was it was a genuine... I don't want to overstate it, but it was a genuinely magical experience for me to see the kids enjoying it so much, to be so well looked after by the staff, to be so well looked after by, by Penyaranda the Panda. It's been a brilliant, brilliant week, and it's just sometimes you think, oh, we're grown men, giving us so much of our time to, to Watford, travelling up and down the country, spending far too much money, getting spending far too much emotional energy thinking about it too much and then you have times like this that that experience that little that little um interaction between Arlo and the guy in the car and then of course last night for at the Cardiff for all those traveling Watford supporters and you realize this is why we do it 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 can be a really really magical sport but more importantly than that it's a really really magical club Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we're back uh, next week. <clears throat> Are we going to do one in the middle of the week? No, we probably won't. Uh, Liverpool away um, in the, the middle of the week. And hopefully uh, we won't be using those verbs, nouns, whatever it is, of route, uh, thrashing uh, or thumped uh, with, uh, with Liverpool because it has been that way recently, uh, trips to, uh, to Anfield. So, thank you much for listening. Uh, do tell your friends. And thank you for, for spending a little bit of your week listening to us ramble on about Watford. Get in touch via social medias at Watford Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And make sure you listen to us uh, via Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. But if you, go to, if you just go to fromtherookerend.com, uh, all the links are there. And like I say, thank you very much for your time. Come on, you ones! <laughs>